Hi, Joy. I'm Deborah Wax, and I'm an art historian. I live in Sherman Oaks, but I've only lived here for um, four months, and I just moved here from Hong Kong, but actually, I grew up in Woodland Hills, and I have to say that I'm honored to be talking with you, and I was so excited because you were my councilwoman for all of those years, and I want to thank you for all of your hard work <laughs> dedication well, thank you deborah i i love i love what you just said i'm joy pikus and i served on the los angeles city council from 1977 to 1993 uh, and i'm going to talk about what i wrote about had to do with running for office campaigning in the 1970s which is very very different from campaigning now but for, yeah. first I'm excited that you were my constituent back in those good old days, and I, I read your your piece last night, and I was just astonished at how many ways I connected with you uh, through that. The first thing, I think you began talking about Woman House in Los Angeles, and I remember reading about it and reading about Judy Chicago and Miriam Shapiro and how incredibly um, uh, avant-garde they were and how exciting it was to read about this. Later, Judy became a very good friend of mine. I first met her since they were working on, she was working on the dinner party, and I met her through my dear friend Audrey Cowan, who did the Elizabeth piece. And I, I remained friends with both of them for many, many years. And in the early 90s, I worked very, very hard to find a permanent home for the dinner party in Los Angeles. I'm glad I found a home, even though it's gone to Brooklyn, and I wish it had been in L.A. So, yeah, so um, I, I I can go on from there because uh, uh, one of the next parts was the Hillside Strangler piece, the performance piece that Suzanne Lacey did. It was my first mm -hmm. exposure to performance to performance art. I was a council member at the time. I was on the on the steps of City Hall and I believe I said a few words at that time. I was shocked by the visuals and by what they did and became a friend of Suzanne's after that. Uh, you describe it so well in, in the um, in the brought back so many memories. I also remember that there were a lot of photographs of this taken and they've appeared in various art shows over the years and I have seen that and I say there's a picture there I am can you see me in the corner over there or wherever so I kind of enjoy oh, wow. that but it's been an important part of uh, of my uh, of my life and and there were a couple of other uh, places and people that you mentioned I know uh, Judy Baca and the and the Great Wall because mm -hmm. I I was a council member. It's not in my district. It's, uh, it's east of my district. But I remember when she was working in it, I think I raised some money uh, for for it. And I also remember when the, some of the young people were painting the wall and there was a flash flood and they almost grounded it. And it was a horrendous oh. experience. I brought them to City Hall. Then the city council members became aware of the Great Wall and the wonderful things that were happening there. So all of those things have been a very important part of my life, both as a council member and before and after I was a council member. So I am thrilled to have connected with you in, in so many ways and now in person. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Well, I, I read your piece as well, and I was it was so interesting to hear all of the details and all of the elbow grease that went into it and all of the 
things that are just going to be lost on on people today that can campaign through the internet or a completely different way. But I actually wanted to ask you, what really inspired you to move from being just an everyday grassroots activist to running for council? That's a huge step. Yeah, it, it is indeed. Uh, you know, I'm this. I'm a traditional, maybe not so traditional, woman of the 1950s. I went to college. I majored in the University of Wisconsin. I majored in political science, which wasn't a common major for women at that time. I didn't know it, but I, so I did it anyway. And then, uh, uh, and then I got married within a year after the time I graduated, and I had my uh, three baby boom children who were living in Washington, D.C. at the time. And, uh, uh, and, uh, uh, and as I said, I was always an overachiever, so I had these kids. Well, every two years, had had another kid, and then became in California the very traditional mom. But I was active in the League of Women Voters. I was active in the American Association of University Women and my temple and the Scouts and the things that my kids did. And uh, but government and the League was my special thing. I was involved uh, in a major charter change that the League proposed and got on the ballot. And I worked to get that passed, and uh, and with Pat Russell, who was um, the the league president at the time, and she became she then ran for the city council, and was elected in a special election in 1969. She's been my mentor and my role model, and I don't think I'd ever run if she hadn't run and been elected. Uh, interestingly wow. enough, she was always known as Pat Russell, and when she ran, she didn't show any photographs of herself. So people did not necessarily know that they were voting for a woman. And that was 1969, and it tells you how different things are. (laughs) And I. Yeah, but not different enough, if you ask me. But yeah. (laughs) You said it. You said it. (laughs) You said it. And and I, there were several there were several things that happened in my life. I don't want to go into them now, but they were positive things. And finally, one day, I said, "I'm tired of trying to influence the decision makers. The time has come to be a decision maker." And I brought together a small group of people, my good friends, who knew how to get things done, and and said, "I'm running for city council." And I can remember some of these early planning meetings in my district. What title should I use? You know, in my name uh, running now and I you know and I actually don't remember what I used that first time but now mm-hmm. names that we discarded because they were too outrageous are used all the time <laughs> and, that, and I, I you know I ran first in 1973 and uh, the, the running for the city council even being on the city council it wasn't quite what it is now the LA Times had one reporter who covered all of this I had what I had a paragraph in the LA Times and two paragraphs the Daily News which was a a um uh a, a four day a week throwaway as you may remember and and mm-hmm. everybody expected the incumbent to be reelected and of course the night that I forced him into a runoff the phones rang off the hook what's a joy picus and then you know we had six weeks to put another campaign together and to and to do it and I came very close I came within one percent of of winning that election. So then I was on the political map and then it was easier to run again. The second time I got support from lots of people that I hadn't had support from before who didn't know me. I ran, you know, when I ran the first time I had no access to money or to power. I was just this grassroots person. I don't think you can do that now in a city the size of Los Angeles. I think you have to have right. some base of support, but uh, I 
I didn't know, you know. <laughs> so I, and of course, I loved being the council member. I found it, uh, you know, I said if I could have written a job description for myself, I would have written something like that. I loved almost all aspects of it. So, and consider myself very privileged to have had the opportunity to have served, to have accomplished something, to have a legacy of important things. So now tell me more how you got to be an art historian. <laughs> um, it was really just the way I was brought up. Just art was always very important in my family, and my parents would take me to all the museums around Los Angeles, but we also um, lived in New York for a while. And um, slowly but surely, I just um, I became very interested, in, and one of the first performance artists I just sort of became enamored with was Laurie Anderson, who's a New York performance artist, and that inspired me to pursue um, this sort of non-tangible um, art I mean, of course, I can talk about Renaissance art. I can talk about 20th century American art, no problem, or across the board, all sorts of Asian art. But um, my first love is time-based art. And to me, that's what's so amazing about performance art is that you have to give your time. You can't just sort of, you know, see it for a second and have been there, done that attitude. You have to sit there with it and you almost have to dialogue with it and have a conversation and you have to give a little bit of yourself. You have to sing and you have to, you have to be present. And that, um, for years, I've been studying this for over 25 years now, um, that sort of dedication and that communication between viewer and art piece um, has continued until today. So yeah. I, I went on, um, I got my, actually, I got my undergrad from CSUN, Cal State Northridge. Okay. All right. right. Yeah. Yes, yeah. so I know that you're affiliated with CSUN, and it was, it was a great I, program um, for me. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and then you did some graduate work. Yes, I, I got my master's in, at NYU and then my PhD from CUNY. So I lived in New York for about 15 years, and then I lived in Hong Kong for 12 years where I was, I was doing a lot of teaching. Yeah. Uh -huh. Thanks. Okay. It's nice to be home. So I, it's nice to be home. <laughs> I, I can believe the, the valley must be a pretty comforting place after Hong Kong. Do you speak Chinese? No, unfortunately, um, everyone there pretty much speaks enough English to get around. And then um, oh. my friends, yeah. you know, I had plenty of friends who were local Hong Kongers, and and their English was perfect. You know, the the English, um, you know, kind of they owned or they colonized or however you want to put it, um, Hong Kong until 1997. So people my generation, they all learned English in school. Mm -hmm. And they're mm -hmm. still learning it. So the, all the signs are in English. And Yeah, um, I, and I've been to Hong Kong a couple of times. Yep. I've been to Hong yeah. Kong a couple of times and I love it. I love bustling, busy, crowded cities. I'm a very urban person. So... <laughs> So that's yeah, uh, yeah, no, um, did, did performance art exist like before the 1970s? I only learned about it, as I said, when I, did, I saw the Suzanne Lacey program on, thing on the Hillside Strangler. Was there much performance art before that? Yes. I, it depends on how you look at the history. Um, a number of books have been written and people have their own theories, but it pretty much begins the early 20th century. And there are kind of alternative European art movements that, um, you know, the, there's an Italian movement called the Futurists. And, and then a lot of people like to locate performance art on um, the sort of the beginning with 
Marcel Duchamp, just because he's sort of like the father of yeah. postmodernism in a way. And yeah. he he created alter egos and he would go through um, life in, in a kind of performative way um, whenever he wanted. And, and from there, you can you can see all sorts of people playing with identity or playing with their environment and um, and artists really turning to their bodies and to time instead of, you know, marble or oil paints. And it's somewhere, it's, it's just like, a, it's an yeah. interesting, yeah, it's a, it's a little sliver of, of art, but their history, these performance artists, their history is located within the tradition of art history rather than dance or theater. And so if when one looks at um, performance art, the best thing is to keep that history in mind rather than um, putting it within like a more theatrical setting. It's much more um, kind of street uh, setting sort of street. Yeah. yeah street. Even yeah. though now, yeah. now you can buy a ticket and go see a performance artist. So the lines are blurring, <laughs> which is not a bad thing, <laughs> but okay. everything's getting right. so much more sophisticated, you know, yes. people are waiting I, in line I, at, you know, LACMA <laughs> to see various, you know, installations right. and performances. And, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I, so I also knew Rachel, Ro R Rachel Rosenberg, who was a performance artist in Los Angeles for oh, a long time. Right? Wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. She was amazing. Yeah, so tell me about she, she was. your meeting with her. Well, I, I think I saw her perform times, oh. and I and I'm sure we connected on a more personal level because we were because I was the council member and such, not of that for her mm -hmm. district, but just because I was someone that if I could come that made it special. But I didn't really mm -hmm. know her as a person. I just knew her knew yeah. her to see her to, to watch her perform and have a short conversation. Yeah. But she was remarkable. And you, you mentioned Marcel Duchamp, and you know, not so many years ago, in 2013, we celebrated the 100th anniversary of The New Descending the Staircase and of Stravinsky's Rite of Spring, both of which were mm -hmm. shocking changes in, yes. in their art field. And I, I always wondered, what was it about 1913 that made that happen? I don't think I've had an answer. <laughs> Yeah, these dates, um, I sort of have an obsession with 1973, actually. But um, okay. it's interesting, 1913, I, I, I often think that maybe it was, there was something in the air, this pre-World War One moment, um, that it was like this burst of creativity, and then, of course, it was complete devastation from 1914 on in Europe. But I don't know. It's like people have this, it's like so many composers, like they, they compose and they compose and compose and they're so prolific just before they pass away. It's, I, I don't know. It, it seems sort of like a zeitgeist or something that people know, but don't know. Like something's coming. Yeah. So, so tell me more about 1973 yeah. and why that is such a special year for you. Um, there's, it just seems that, Whenever I read something about the 70s, people mention 1973 as a turning point. Even in your piece, you mentioned 1973. And even if yeah. I don't remember the specifics, it just seems like anytime anyone's talking about 
It could be politics. It could be sports. But especially something with the women's movement, they mentioned 1973. And, um, you know, there are all sorts of important sort of landmark decisions taking place in the courts then. And mm-hmm. there yeah, were the transitional. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And I feel like yeah. the the way that um, uh, the women's movement was sort of turning and the way that counterculture and just general and politics. And of course, that is when, you know, all of Watergate takes place. And it was just, it was a very tumultuous, exciting, rich time, I think, in in history. And, and also not only in the U.S. It, I see it in bits and pieces around the whole world that 1973 becomes like this watershed moment. So that's uh, it's my it's my future book, I hope. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you, you've alerted me to that because I hadn't previously noticed the, all the connections there in 1973. So I'm going to watch for it in, in, as as time goes on. So um, you can send me uh, little notes. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, I think yeah. you and I, we're, we're neighbors. I live in Reseda and you're in Sherman Oaks, so I think that we can get together. I'll have you, I'll, I'll contact you and you'll come to launch here and, and we'll get to know each other. Oh, even I would love that. I would love that. Like okay, I said, I, I, I was so excited to hear that I was going to be having this conversation <laughs> with you. I, I honestly, I called my parents last night and they were thrilled. I mean, we, we all are so familiar with you and your work and so appreciative, you know, as we're well, you know, living in Hills. I I really appreciate those very kind words. It's interesting because several times in the past couple of months, I've met young people who have said that. I grew up in Woodland Hills and my parents, and just what you said. So I think it makes me feel a little older, which is what I deserve to feel a little older. But I I, I love love the feedback. It's really exciting and and heartwarming for me. It really is. So So we can continue this conversation uh, head to head uh, at, at, at a future time and and thank um, uh, Andrew and uh, and the book and all of that for bringing us together right yes definitely all of these yeah. these connections I I appreciate I I never would have thought that <laughs> I'd be able to have this conversation <laughs> with you so yes <laughs> thank you to the yes, and I and I was just thrilled when I started to read your paper, your, your and and found so many personal connections for for a while after I left office, and I and I got I had the time to go to all the theater and dance and and museums and all of those programs. I referred to myself as the number one consumer of culture in Los Angeles. So I I have my mother took me as a kid to all the museums and to wow. and to all the plays and all of those things. So it's been a very important part of my life always. And uh, uh, so oh. knowing these people and relating to what you've written was just very exciting. Going back for a minute to Judy Baca and to Spark, uh, and they they came out and they did a fabulous mural in one of the parks in Canoga Park, Orchid Park. Uh, Francisco oh. Letelier was the artist. I know he has a big one in in the Seventh Street um, subway station, and and I I I know it's still there. I think it faded and was spoiled in some ways, but I I have mm. very special, very warm feeling about him and about the mural and, and about that whole that whole incident. So art was an important part oh. of my life as a council member before and after. So Oh that's wonderful. Anyway. I should I should actually have a little proper interview um with you because I 
I didn't see any of these things. You know, I just miss it. I, I honestly feel like I was born like 10 years um, too late. And so I, I, I have studied this. I've looked at pictures. I've interviewed people. But I didn't get to personally experience any of this, you know. So I, I live it as an art historian, as a researcher. But, yeah, I'll have to yeah. – um, I'll have to pick your brain a little bit. <laughs> that, I, I share it willingly. <laughs> oh, okay, I think we've covered a fair amount of what we're supposed to cover for today. And uh, I will be in touch with you by email, and we'll set up a date for lunch. Fantastic. I look forward to that, Joy. Thank you so much. Oh, okay. But bye-bye, Deborah. Wonderful to talk with you. Take care. I really enjoyed it very, Likewise. very much. Bye-bye.